Hello, and welcome to the Gravel Ride Podcast. I'm your host, Craig Dalton. This week's podcast is sponsored by you. That's right. Listeners like you have been supporting the podcast by visiting buymeacoffee.com slash thegravelride to help underwrite the podcast's overhead. I appreciate all the contributions, both large and small, as it really helps offset the costs of operating the podcast, so much so that we've been able to introduce a new show called In the Dirt. You might have heard episodes one and two earlier in your feed. So big thanks again for all those contributions, and remember that URL is buymeacoffee.com slash thegravelride. This week on the podcast, we've got Sean and Dan from Ruckus Composites up in Portland, Oregon. Founded back in 2008, the team at Ruckus has been repairing carbon frames since that time and has seen over 13,000 frames come through their shop. I had a friend not too long ago ask me for a recommendation of a carbon repair shop, and honestly, I hadn't investigated it that much. And I was curious just kind of what types of things could be repaired on a carbon bicycle, and, and when do you need to be careful about any damage you've seen on your frame? So I went right to the experts at Ruckus, and I was stoked to learn everything I needed to know about carbon repair, and also hear some crazy stories about what customers have done to their poor carbon frames over the years as Ruckus has looked at all these bikes. We recorded during a live session, so please forgive any audio hiccups here and there. With that, on to the show. All right, welcome everybody. We're live from the Gravel Ride podcast, and today we've got some guests from from Ruckus talking about carbon repair. It's actually quite timely for me, as a couple of friends had asked me about some carbon repair work they wanted to have done, and I had no idea how to approach it. So, gentlemen, welcome to the show. Thanks, yeah, for, having thanks us. for having us. Yeah, could you guys start by by introducing yourself? Take sure. it away. I'm- all right. Yeah. I'm, as Dan said, I'm Sean Small. I'm the owner and founder, and I started Ruckus over 12 and a half years ago. Yeah. My name's Dan Steinley, and I am our repair strategist and customer success person. Right on. Sean, what was the impetus behind starting Ruckus? <laughs> uh, it's kind of a long, uh, rambling story of I was 24 at the time, fresh out of engineering school, and uh, really liked bikes and didn't really fit the traditional mold of being an engineer. I'm not an office guy per se. Um, I can't spend all my day on a computer. So I would like working with my hands a lot. And really wanted to create a business where I could work with my hands, but also kind of create the ideas that were locked up in my crazy head. Right on. And were you, did you start it off as sort of a one man show? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Maybe a robot or two. I probably had a Roomba at the time if Roombas were around, but <laughs> I always try to keep a balance of one human and one robot at every time. There you go. That's the engineer in you, right? Exactly. So I was excited to talk to you guys about carbon bike repair because it is a little bit of a mystery to me how it all works. And you know, you think about cracking a carbon frame, or at least I did prior to this conversation, that you know, the thing's hosed. It's you know, I'm never gonna be able to ride it again. Can you talk about the types of repairs that are possible for carbon frames? Hit it, Dan. You're good at this one. Yeah, I mean, it's for us, it's kind of the the circumstance of we can repair almost anything, but it's only really we take it to the point where we think it's safe to do. So a lot of times, you know, things that will decline, for example, are 
car and bike situations where a rider will get into an accident and you know bikes that have four or five visible damages um technically we could repair something like that but we don't really deem it safe to do so um that's like the extent of things that we won't do uh but for the most part you know we do basic tube repairs we do dropout replacements uh we can do full <laughs> bottom bracket repairs and replacements as well um you know we we will a lot of things that we've been seeing recently uh are tire rub damages on gravel bikes for example people running the combination of too wide of tires in a, a given condition that isn't suitable um front derailleur mounts have been coming off boy Am I missing anything, Sean? There's a lot. Well, we do, yeah. we do, we do, a, we do a lot, a lot, a lot of different types of repairs on a very regular basis. Yeah, it's pretty varied, but you know, at the same point, it's just we see the same bike over and over, or same bikes over and over and over again. So it's some days it feels a little monotonous, and you kind of forget that we see some of the most interesting things on the bike side. Like we already got a brand new specialized 2020 shiv in, and it's like. I haven't even seen this bike online. It's got this kind of cool, uh, where's my camera? Cool, like vertical yeah. truss, yeah. truss fork. And right. you look at it and you're like, okay, bikes are getting crazy again. Yeah, it Here looks just like that. It looks just like the Lotus track bike fork. Uh, oh, yeah. It, yeah, it's that dual, that dual bladed thing. So, yeah, we so do. It's, I'm, it's, it's, again, it's like we can, we can repair almost judge. anything, but we choose you know specifically based on on whether it's safe or not to do right what did that poor individual with the brand new shiv do to his bike to put it in your hands shipping damage oh no <laughs> hasn't even been built for assembly yet and it's just getting shipped across the country and i don't know a lot of shipping companies are generally fine but you know you throw enough probability into it and you know there may be 10 percent, five percent of scenarios in you're going to be on the losing end every now and then. So shipping insurance is always good to get out. So what does that process look like on your end? So let's just say I've cracked my chain stay and maybe it, you know, I, I see some damage, but I don't see a whole, do I send it up to you and do I get some sort of analysis back for me to consider if the repair is something I want to move forward with? Yeah, and where we usually start with something like this is we'll have the customer send us pictures um, and a variety of ways, email, we our number also gets texts as well. So it's, it's an easy way to communicate with people. But we usually start with photos um, on the odd chance we can actually tell, um, if, you know, through a photo only, um, if the bike is okay, we'll just tell the customer to monitor it. But most things start with a photo. Um, and then we take out a case and we'll bring in the bike. And if the area is in question of if it's broken or not, it goes through the ultrasound scan process. Um, and through that, we can determine, you know, empirically within a thousandth of an inch, whether the bike is actually damaged or not. Um, and then after that's all said and done, we'll communicate with the customer again. If the bike is okay, it's, you know, ready to send home at that point, if they want, uh, if they want a paint touch up, we can do that. Or if the bike actually needs to be repaired, they'll get a confirmation of the original estimate at that point. Uh, and then we can begin the repair process. If it's a normal tube repair uh, at pretty much at that time. So yeah, usually starts out with photos and a conversation of, of what, you know, the rider was doing at the time, what the damage looks like. Okay, and, so and kind of on top of that, like we've seen over 13,000 cases. So 
we have a pretty good idea if someone says, oh, I have this type of bike and this type of bike. And we go, oh, yeah. Is your seat stay broke? Okay, cool. Gotcha. So when I imagine ultrasound, I'm thinking of a doctor and a pregnant woman and that little gel. What goes on when you ultrasound a bike? I mean, that's ex that's exactly that's it. it. It's it's a very it's uh, it's that. So Sean has a couplet fluid that he puts over the area, and our transducer is is what two and a half, two two point five, right? Sean, two by five millimeters in diameter. No, it's four. It's four. Okay. So he has a four millimeter transducer that he puts over the area and it puts a wave sound into the bike and, and comes back. The, the readout would be different from something that you would see in the hospital. Uh, it's more of a wave form than actually an image. But Sean is able to tune the wave based on the specific layup of the bike to gain the information that he would need to determine if something would be broken. So if I had, if I say oh, I had a really bad scratch, you know, from a rock and I it clearly went through the paint and into the carbon fiber. Is that analysis able to tell you, you know, from that wall thickness, you've gone halfway through it or three quarters of the way through it? Yeah, exactly. So kind of how that works is the ultrasound, as Dan said, it kicks out a wave. The wave penetrates through the carbon, bounces off the backside and it comes back to my transducer. That's kind of how we read it. And if we hit something that would be an air pocket or a void or you know, if there's less material, the screen's going to show that. And we have to, you know, we have to interpolate it a little bit or interpret it quite a bit to kind of convert that squiggly waveform into, you know, a bicycle. But it's kind of the and, gist of it. And is there is there some amount of carbon kind of deep scratch that is okay and livable? And you'll message back to the customer, hey, you know, you're only 15% down. It's probably safe. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's, it kind of, every single bike is different. Um, every single rider is different. Every single location is different. Like, you know, it doesn't matter the material per se, but almost every bike, the wall thickness of whether it's steel or aluminum or titanium or carbon changes so much throughout a bike. You know, we have, we see some mountain bikes nowadays that are over three millimeters thick of carbon, which is insanely thick. Wow. Um, and then we have certain seat stays that are, or top tubes that are only 0.7 millimeters, which is like next to nothing. So everything's got to be kind of comparative or you kind of look at the whole picture of like, okay. And then, you know, we don't like to think of like the rider too much. We like to think of just making sure everybody's safe. So we don't really take into account if someone's like, well, I don't really hit too big of jumps. And you're like, right. I don't know what, you know, we talked to some, you know, guys up in uh, Bellingham or Whistler and, you know, a small yeah, six, jump six to them. Feet is the small <laughs> <Yeah>. jump to them. <laughs> yeah, and I don't. I personally don't leave the ground. So anything leaving the ground is a big jump. So, yeah, absolutely interesting. And so the can the range of repair work go from you know that deep scratch that has affected structural integrity to a complete break in a tube? Oh yeah, the entire tube could be severed off or even missing. We've replaced entire tubes before. You know, it's a little more severe, um, but really, you know, there's not a lot of limits. And that's kind of one of the cooler things about composites as a material versus like some of the metals is, you know, your repair work is so much smaller. Um, it's more of a localized repair versus having to replace an entire tube. You know, with a metal bike, you, you know, you can repair any metal bike as well, um, but it typically takes an entire tube replacement. So it's surprisingly way more expensive. You know, most composite repairs are about 500 bucks or less. 
on on average, but you know, metal repairs are closer to a thousand. So let's let's take a couple of the different scenarios. Let's take one on the the one hand, which is just maybe a a piercing or a, a, a scratch that is is definitely dangerous and needs to be repaired. What does that repair look like? How do you actually address my carbon frame with the materials you're going to use to resupport it? Good question. Um, it's as far as the repair goes, our process for let's say it, you know, some, something that we've seen a number of times is a very piercing strike on, on a down tube, uh, let's say on a mountain bike, especially recently, the way that all of the down tubes are being extruded from the bottom bracket with more of an exaggerated curve. We see a lot of damage to that area. So the process for our repair is repeatable but not necessarily not necessarily always similar if you know if we're doing the same steps towards every bike but every damage is different so it's not exactly the same process um so the the cost options that we provide are not tuned towards the repair it's all on the finishing side so Basically, every normal tube repair that we do, we'll give our customers a range of options from just a basic matte black paint or a basic, or basic matte black vinyl wrap to a full paint match. And that customer is getting the same exact safe repair, lifetime warranty, but we're going to give them a different you know, option of price depending on what they want it to look like. Because some people don't care. You know, Some people are like, hey, it's my mountain bike. I'm going to beat the crap out of it. I'll, I'll take the $500 repair rather than the full paint match. You know, that, that works fine for somebody. They're getting the same fix either way. So if I've pierced my frame, um, is it sort of like you're taking some carbon material and almost bonding a, a bandaid of carbon over top of that? It's a little more involved than that. It's, you mm -hmm. know, it's carbon composite repair has been around the aerospace industry for a long, long time. So there's already proven standards written by the American Society of Mechanical Engineers or American Society of Testing and Materials. And we really follow pretty similar guidelines. Uh, repairing tubes is a little more complicated, especially tubes of insane geometry that bikes have nowadays, whether they're, you know, ovals, squovals, squares, or rectangles, or round. Uh, but it all kind of starts with, you know, we evaluate that whole area and we kind of have to like map out how far the damage goes for starters. And then after we map out the damage extent, we got to kind of map out the repair extent, which is usually extends, you know, it's, let's call it three inches in every direction around it. And what we do is we then kind of excavate or machine out all the broken fiber and we get rid of it. You know, it's not doing anything. There's not really much you can do with it to kind of repurpose it. So then we kind of machine out all that area and sand it all out and get rid of it. And then we apply brand new carbon fiber on top of it and taper it out through the entire tube to make sure the entire tube is completely strong, repaired, and we're not creating any stress risers anywhere on the bike. Gotcha. And then we had one of our listeners write in and ask about, you know, they completely broke the stay. Are you <laughs> basically then sort of sawing off, the, you know, the, the completely mangled sections and adding in an entirely new tube? Uh, we could be. We do a lot of 3D printing in-house. We have a big, we've always had a big strat, like professional industrial uh, Stratasys 3D print machine. So we can print um, or 3D print and design molds and tools and inserts, you know. And the hardest part with, honestly, with bikes is in maintaining the integrity of alignment. 
you know, if there's a slight variation at your dropout, um, your wheels can be crooked. And with everybody's running huge tires right now, which is great. But if you then have a, like a, a little bit of a dropout misalignment and then, you know, multiply that over 13 inches of a wheel radius, give or take, and it exacerbates the angle so bad that it pushes your wheel straight into your chain stick. So the hardest part is sometimes alignment more than anything, just making sure, you know, we're trying to align kind of thin air with certain repairs. You're like, well, I need to put this seats. I need to put a seat stay back in the frame, but there's a huge gap in between. So how do we fill that gap? There's a lot of puzzles involved. And then, so day. do you have frame alignment tools? Yeah, we probably have almost every tool. you. Do you end up having that. frame alignment <laughs> tools to help in that process? Yeah, we have frame jigs. We've had a lot of custom built tools. We have, you know, end mills for milling and mitering. We have drill presses. Of you know, we have almost every tool you can think of. Like we have a the million la- different hole saws. Don't forget the lathe boy. Yeah, we have the lathe boy, which so we can lathe <laughs> all of our own tools and inserts. Um, repair is more about like being inventive and tool creative than anything. You're like, how are we going to hold this shape? That's not a shit, you know, like a wacky squoval type thing in alignment. Or we have we have two granite tables as well for alignment. That are, I think they're down to like ten thousand. No more than that. Point zero 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 point zero 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 one of an inch of alignment. So we can always plot things on there and make standoff blocks or use dial indicators. So. Before before we move on from uh, from Greg's question of being able to repair that seat stay, this is actually a, a, a the case in point of an example of where we wouldn't do Greg's repair until we performed a full inspection on this bike. Um, you know, forty five mile an hour front flip. That bike didn't come to a complete stop immediately. Uh, I've I've had a, a crash similar to this uh, about ten years ago, and it was really really bad. Um, so we would basically say that this bike is going to start out at the full ultrasound inspection for the frame and fork, and pending us finding damages elsewhere in the frame. Then, then we would begin to consider the other repairs on this bike because that's the beauty of ultrasound. And that's why I think we shine as an organization is we're not only fixing things that are visible, we're actually able to empirically discern other damages in the bike. So we're not just guessing that one area is going to be okay we're able to see every other area on the bike if it's okay or not. And, you know, a lot of times we'll find in these kind of situations, we'll find the fork to be broken um, based on, you know, the bike tumbling or the, the steer tube getting, getting tweaked. Um, And a lot of our customers, once they find out that the fork is broken, if it's an older bike, they'll decide not to do the repair because it's going to be very difficult to source a, you know, proprietary fork from 2013. So not only are we keeping people safe, uh, for low costs, we're able to steer people in the direction of getting an, a new safe bike, you know, because now that they know that they're not going to be able to get these parts anymore. So that's a, this is a scenario that we see all the time of there's a visual damage, but we need to take a step back and look at everything before we commit just to make sure that everything is safe and able to work well down the road together. So, yeah, that's something that we see almost, you know, I see this like two or three times a week talking to our customers. Yeah. 
I think I would be a bit torn up if I cracked my carbon frame and I would just be grappling with, you know, do I send it to you guys for repair or at what right. point does it make sense to upgrade? It's a tough call, but it's, you know, many of us are riding bikes that we absolutely love and would hate to sort of send out to pasture earlier than they need to, you know, in an ideal scenario, I want to ride a bike hard, love it, and then pass it on to someone else who can love it. Correct. And for me, one of the things that I always say is if you have bought your bike within the past five years and aren't dreaming of a component of a serious component upgrade, then it makes sense to fix your bike because that's usually the thing is if you decide to replace your bike, you know, and that's been made in the past couple of years, there's going to be some chances are there's going to be some kind of proprietary element that you need to also get so you're not just going to be in shipping repair return shipping fee you're going to be in that additional cost as well so you know i still my my personal bike is a scott addict rim brake it's been broken two or three times luckily i work here (laughs) (laughs) but i don't you know i it's it's my good weather road bike i don't dream of a disc road bike for the summer so it made a lot of sense to get it fixed because that bike serves that utility so if you know if it's a bike that you want to keep for a long time and you have components you like on it then it's almost no question repair is usually the way to go but if an upgrade is in your future and we can help you figure that out hey then we're happy to do that too. So we talked a bit about the assessment process and the repair process, and you alluded to a couple different options. You can just get the black carbon put on the frame. If you just kind of want that, you know, I don't care what my mountain bike looks like on the down tube kind of phenomenon. But I also saw on your site, some immaculate paint matching and repair work you've done on some beautiful bicycles. Are you guys doing that in-house or are you working with someone local to you? No, we do it all in-house the hard way. Mm-hmm. Uh, growing our paint department was kind of a very hard and painstaking process because bike painting is, it sucks. Um, it's super hard. <laughs> yeah. It's not easy. Um, there's no shortcuts. And, you know, if you go to an auto body shop, people that can paint cars, they all think they can paint bikes. Yeah. And the idea of, there's people that can paint flat things. There's people that can paint round things. And there's two different worlds. And we know almost all the bike major bike painters that are independent bike painters in the country as well. And they say the same thing, like spraying a tube is so different than spraying a quarter panel, uh, you know, on like a car or something. And laying graphics is so hard. So we grew everything internally, painstakingly, very, very painstakingly, and learning how cheap paints will kind of screw you some days versus expensive paints or cheap clear coats versus expensive clear coats. And I don't think the average person knows how expensive paint or clear coat is, but some of our paints are, you know, if you're talking about a, like half a pint, you know, it's almost 70, 80 bucks. Uh, and our clear coats are almost $500 for a gallon. And it's like, yeah, they last a while, but they don't last that long. You're maybe talking like five to 10 full bikes, maybe. Um, depending how many rounds of clear you want to shoot, the stuff's just very expensive. And the guns are expensive. You know, there you're in a thousand to two thousand bucks just for the gun and air compressor. And oh, I could go forever about this. But <laughs> luckily, we have great a great painter in house who could just freakishly max uh, match everything under the sun. All the insane specialized uh, glitter coats that are doing right now, all the shimmer coats. We've done all the thermochromic paints where they 
change color with different heat signature. Oh, Dan's bike actually changes with different heat colors. Yeah, heat. yes, it does. Yep. Wow. You know, yeah, we I can saw- kind of do it all. I think I was looking at uh, a picture of a Colnago on your site that was beautifully color matched and had intricate pin, like a pinstripe line through the color. It was, it was insane. And from the picture, it looked brand new. Some of those Colnago restorations are absolutely the fine, uh, are some of our painters finest work They're Boy, they're not cheap. Um, but at that no. point, you know, and the owners even agree with us. It's like you're doing a classic car at that point. So, you know, you, why would you want to do it inexpensively anyway? You want it to be proper and in its pristine condition. And he has the ability to do it. Uh, yeah, they're 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 not cheap and they take a long time. But the end result is, boy, it, they look the for doing some of the photography around here those are some of the best bikes to shoot because it's an endless amount of detail uh that we have to do to them so yeah we uh we have quite the range of of uh finishing that we're able to achieve here be it the the most basic vinyl and and get it out as quickly as possible to you know uh hand pinstriping c40s but yeah he does it all it's pretty it's pretty pretty wild yeah, I'll put I'll put some photos up on on Instagram and Facebook, and I'll obviously put your URL in the show notes so people can go over and check it out. Before we go tonight, do you guys have any sort of funny or outlandish stories from the over thirteen thousand bikes you guys have inspected that would be fun to share on the podcast? Oof. There's I mean, so seen, many. There's so many. We've seen stuff from so many. a lot of pro racers, so like very household names um from the pro tour even we even have one in the in shop right now that's from the tour de france last year um so we do stuff on that level i just saw there was a repair request from today of a guy that like endoed while doing a manual at 25 miles an hour to show off his to show off in front of his 11 year old <laughs> uh so i don't know i mean there's a lot of great stories where like people bikes have gone through forest fires and Boy, I don't know. What do you got, Dan? The one of our classic favorites is uh, I think we tell this story every time, but it's it's so great. Somebody dropped an industrial waffle iron on their top tube and broke it. And that's all we got. And that's why it's one of my favorite stories, because there's so much intrigue and mystery into the details of this story. Yeah, like why do you have a iron? Why? How big is it? How, how many waffles can it make? Why do yeah. you have this? What were you doing? What kind of waffles <laughs> did you make? Right? So that's the, the mystery. Re- also, <laughs> where are they? Uh, that one's great. Um, some of, boy, I mean, we've seen somebody's beloved house cat chew through their seat stay. Oh, my God. It sounds I mean, Yeah, yeah. The stories we see, you can't make up. Um, I'm also thinking of um, on the inspection side, one of the thing, one time we, we, somebody brought in a damaged bike and it had some issues or in, in front of, uh, or excuse me, kind of like right behind the bottom bracket on the chain stay. And Sean did the ultrasound scan and was like, this is, I don't know about this. This is pretty bizarre. And right along the crack line, we found a piece of pre-preg backing paper that was mold that was molded into the laminate. Um, And Sean's ultrasound readings were 
were totally wild. He's like, I don't know what to say. I've never seen anything like this. And it was like, I forget what brand it was, but it was an older bike, like 2010 or, or 2009. Uh, yeah. Pre-preg backing paper in the laminate. And that's exactly where the damage occurred. Um, we've found tons of dirt in bikes from the factory. Those are that yeah, was like much stuck old. inside the frame, like closed off. And we poured out like, I think it was like 90 grams of dirt once. And we were like, okay, that was this bike surprising. is brand new. <laughs> You're like, how um, did all this dirt get in here? And then I also imagine you get the, uh, I drove my car into a parking garage quite often. Oh, daily? Weekly. Maybe weekly. Daily? Yeah. At least once, at least once or twice a week, every, every, every once a week. But that one, yeah, that's a full inspection. Those are always full inspections. So yeah, there's you, a lot of damage. If there's you're listening and you, and you did that, don't. Yeah, uh, we know. You know. Uh, don't think it's going to be okay that you just no. hit your car into a house. No. Your bike into yeah. a house. No, I <laughs> even, like say you take, even if like, it was only five miles an hour. Yeah. <laughs> I just say you take like an immovable object of your house and like a 4,000 pound car and then a 20 pound bike. And you're like, all right, that's going to stop it all. Apparently. All right. Yeah. yeah. I see Good that luck. all the time. We saw we we have seen people doing like longer descents uh who have hit deer who have hit deer before. Uh yeah. also also full inspection. Definitely full inspection. Those bikes can be pretty I don't know, but sometimes we do the full inspection and Sean and I joke about this all the time. It's like sometimes there there's nothing wrong with them. And, you know, it's it's not every time we do a full inspection, the bike is completely smoked. Um, you know, oftentimes they're they're totally OK, but at least people are able to walk away with that peace of mind. And and now that now now they know they have the safety to to do all their favorite rides again. But, yeah, we've seen so many wild things over the years. That's awesome. Well, I appreciate all the information, you guys. It was a lot of fun for me to learn about carbon repair. I think one of the takeaways specifically for, for our listeners who are obviously the majority gravel cyclists is just pay attention to that tire diameter and mud damage. If you're out oh, there I, doing... Well, I have one more for you as well. Yeah. yeah. Uh, dropped chain stays. It's all the rage. Be careful. And how do you see that playing out with the drop stays? Because that is a, a design feature in a lot of these gravel bikes. I know. I was th actually looking about like, I, I like to do a lot just review and analysis and thinking about drop chain stays versus raised chain stays, you know, like on the Trek uh, stash has a raised chain stay. And I'm like, okay, that totally removes the chain suck issue. But with the drop chain stay, it kind of like, puts it more in harm's way and i think people are trying to run a one by system which i love one by systems but when you try to maximize your chain ring size let's say you go to a 38 on a drop chain stay on a like standard road width bike you're playing with fire a little bit um and you start to see you know like you're bouncing along and even if you have a clutch or whatever i don't think it really matters um Either way, the chain kind of comes up a little bit on the bottom, lower side of the chain ring, and it just, just goes right into that chain stay. So I would like to say, like, give yourself a little more room, or uh, you may not be that, I don't know, stoked, but maybe run a slightly smaller chain ring, like go down to a 36, maybe. Um, give yourself a little more room there. Just get that chain away from that drop chain stay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, this comes from I'm seeing grinding. a lot of these. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Next time I'm grinding some mud through my chain stays, I'm going to have a little bit of fear in my heart after talking to you guys. Oh, yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. Or, well, or, good news is it's an easy fix. So it is an easy fix. You just let us know, Craig. You just let us know. <laughs> just keep <Right>. pedaling. <laughs> if anything happens, just pedal through it. That's usually my. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, I appreciate you joining me live and I uh, appreciate the insight for our listeners. Take care and we'll, we'll talk again soon. All right. Thank you so much thank for you. having us, Craig. Cheers. See you guys. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks again to Sean and Dan for sharing all those stories about carbon repair. I hope you learned a thing or two and I hope you never need their services. So that's it for another edition of The Gravel Ride. I appreciate your feedback. If you have any comments, hit me up on social media or shoot me an email at craig at thegravelride.bike. If you have any questions to be covered in the In the Dirt shows, feel free to leave us a voicemail at 415-843-1701. We really want this show to be driven by not only what Randall and I are experiencing, but what you're experiencing and what your questions are. If you're a first-time listener, please don't forget to subscribe to the show. We've got new content in your feed every week. And if you're a returning listener, thanks for letting me spend a little bit of time with you this week. Until next time, here's to finding some dirt under your wheels. <laughs>